Oakland launched a soft story program last year, which requires the building owners to uh, retrofit their their building. And so while they're anyways, they're being forced to touch and upgrade and work on those properties, you know, they're looking at that opportunistically as, hey, I'm going to be doing construction my building. Why not use this time to also add ADU units, increase the, the value and rental income? This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Akash Prasad. Akash is the CEO of Design Everest and was actually back on our show, back on episode number 65. Design Everest is a one-stop shop for all of your architectural and structural engineering needs. And today, we're going to be going over the popular real estate projects that large real estate investors are now pursuing in this post-COVID-19 era. So we're going to be discussing what's popular and what's not, as well as what projects have the highest potential for secure profit. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show. Today, we have the CEO of Design Everest, Akash Prasad. Design Everest is an architectural and structural engineering company that uses technology to make the process more efficient. And Akash was actually back on our show back on episode number 65, and he's back here today to give us an update on the architectural, engineering, and construction industry. So Akash, welcome back to the show. Yeah, good to be back. I can't believe it's been a year since we last recorded. I know, time flies, and things have definitely changed since the last time we spoke. So I'm excited to have you back on to give us the inside scoop. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, right now, what's on everyone's mind is COVID and kind of how the industry's uh, shifted in the last four or five weeks since the shelter in place started. But even, you know, before that, there were certain shifts in the market that we were seeing. The big one is the the new ADU regulations that was passed last year. So we've definitely seen a pickup in a lot of homeowners as well as multifamily investors uh, wanting to do ADU projects. And what we've actually seen now with COVID is that's actually sustaining. So the regulations, you know, increased the demand for ADUs originally in 2017, and then further amplified it at the start of this year uh, with multifamily ADUs, single-family ADUs, junior J ADUs. And that's, that's been great for business. And now with COVID, what we're seeing is, you know, it's not that people are not doing projects, it's just that they're doing different types of projects. So we're seeing kind of less on the commercial side right now, which is natural because you're not going to expect companies to invest more in their commercial office spaces right now or restaurants or retail or hotels because uh, people are staying at home or working from home. I think as we come out of this, more companies are going to realize that they can work from home and maybe they don't need as big or offices or as much office space as they had before. But on the flip side, on the residential side, you know, as people are spending more time at home, 
they're thinking about their remodels. You know, we've seen a like there's if I look at our data and our website and traffic and you know different kinds of leads that we're getting, there's a very clear spike in certain types of categories. Like right when the shelter in place started, we suddenly saw a spike in decks and patios and pools, for example. So as people are sitting at home, you know, they want a swimming pool, they want a better deck, they want to improve their patio, etc. Because they're spending more time there. The other thing that we're seeing is there's continued demand on the ADU side. And this, the interesting thing is it's, it's both single family and multifamily. For single family, it may be about, you know, helping with the quarantine or having a home office in a, in a attached or detached ADU. It may be a place for your parents or in-laws to stay in, in quarantine. But on the multifamily side, you know, being able to add more units and increase the rental value of the, of the apartment building, whether it's a smaller building like a eight plex or it's a bigger building with dozens of units being able to add those adus it's something that's a it's a very attractive proposition for multifamily investors and some of our clients who've you know been around and they've done real estate investments and developments for a long long time and they've been through other economic ups and downs we're seeing them strike now they're looking at this like hey we're back in 2008 this is the time to strike and they did the same thing 12 years ago, where they started buying up in 2008, 2009, and they've done really, really well. So they're applying that same playbook now. But in addition to acquiring these buildings, they're also adding ADUs and increasing the rental value. So that's kind of, you know, some of the recent changes. I think over the last 12 months since we spoke, the biggest change outside of COVID was the ADU laws and and just even, you know, investors who are in the business of, you know, buying and flipping homes, uh, even they're doing more ADU projects. Whereas in the past, they were looking at kitchen remodels and bathroom remodels and things like that for additions. Now we're seeing, you know, we've been seeing them over the last 12 months do more ADUs. And now the COVID, you know, ADUs, remodeling, Dex patios, those are the kinds of things that we're seeing. There's also been a pattern around tiny homes, kind of smaller custom homes. So we're seeing some uptick there. I think the last one that's, you know, it makes a lot of sense, but an area where we've definitely seen a surge is on prefab. So these are the manufactured buildings, prefabricated buildings that are manufactured in a factory, mass produced, and then assembled at the site. And I think we're going to see more of that going forward with the social distancing measures in place, I think that's going to be the case. A prefab was already on the rise the last few years. It's been, you know, very buzzy. It's been all over the news. There's there's a number of companies that have also raised a ton of money around prefab. I think COVID is just going to kick it a few years forward because there's minimal time at the construction site. So that helps with social distancing because people don't want, you know, homeowners, building owners, they don't want... Um, you know, a lot of people to be at their house for an extended period of time with prefab, the installations can get done fairly quickly and efficiently. It's also just the quickest answer to adding units, adding supply, adding space, adding housing. And we already had a housing supply issue in California. There was already an affordable housing crisis. COVID just further amplifies everything. So the need for adding housing, adding units, adding space, whether it's ADUs or tiny homes or custom homes. Or, you know, I think we're going to see a little bit less of the, or maybe even a lot less of the high density multifamily, because even once we come out of this, if people, if psychologically they want to be, you know, they may still be in that social distancing kind of frame of mind where maybe they're kind of wary of being very close to a ton of other people. So 
at least my hypothesis is it's probably not going to be as much high density multifamily, you know, apartments, condos, mixed use, like we were seeing pre-COVID, but it's too early to say right now. It's, it's just been five, six weeks since the lockdown started. Yeah. And you brought up a lot of good talking points. I actually want to make a note on what you just said about not having high density here in America. I feel like this is more of a supply and demand issue and whether or not they want it, I don't think they're going to have a choice in the end. Because if you look at other countries like like in Asia, they're just full of apartment buildings and huge sky rises. And I think if they could, they would obviously love to have like a single family house with a 6,000 square foot lot. But because the population density is so high, they don't have a choice. So that might even still be the case here in California. But you're right. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. It, it could go either way. I think there's multiple factors at play. Exactly. And when you're mentioning that prefab is going to be on the rise too, from what I understand right now, prefab versus stick built, like where you just build it straight up at your house, the costs are relatively similar because even though like it's cheaper to have it built at the factory and then, you know, trucked over, you still have to pay for the crane to crane over this giant ADU over your house. And then of course you have these huge expenses where you have to like dig these trenches to attach your utilities to the ADU. So are you saying that prefab in the future is going to be more popular, not necessarily because it is more cost effective or efficient, but simply because you have less people on your site. I think it's two things. I think one is time savings. Two is you don't have as many people for as the same amount of time at the job site. It's easier to practice social distancing. But on that cost topic, so here's kind of what I've gathered from you know people who are in the prefab business. It actually is cheaper, kind of But when the prefab companies are pricing their products, they're looking at what is the alternative and they're trying to be a little bit cheaper than the alternative, but they're obviously their true cost is not actually that high. So there is the ability for prefab to be quite a bit cheaper. It's just that the players in the prefab market have not necessarily priced it as low as they can because they're looking at, okay, well, you know, if it's custom built, it's going to be this much. I can come in at, you know, a little bit lower than that and be competitive. They haven't really pushed on pricing that much. That's kind of been my understanding. And I think in this market, it's just really going to kind of push prefab to become more lower prices and become more cost effective. And, and they can because the cost of building, many of them, they're built in factories out in Utah and Idaho in lower cost areas, and then they're transported and the cost of labor, you know, will be going down. So I think it will end up becoming cheaper. Over the last couple of years, maybe why it hasn't been as cheap as people have expected. I think that's the chunk of it has to do with, they don't have an incentive to, you know, price it that much lower than normal construction. Because if, you know, if the alternative for the customer is, you know, four or $500 a square foot, it's like, why would you price it at 200? You know, it's not because you can't, hypothetically, it's, it just isn't any a need or incentive. But I think in this new market, we're going to see kind of prefab companies trying to realize more efficiencies and get more competitive in their pricing. But we're going to see general contractors do the same. So, you know, it'll it'll kind of come down to uh, kind of how much both of those costs come down. As an architect yourself, does that kind of worry you at all that we're seeing this trend towards prefab? So you don't need to create this custom ADU, just, you know, get one off the shelf? Well, we do both architecture and engineering. And with prefab, there's still a bunch of work involved for each site. There's a permit set. There's a foundation. You know, every installation is specific to the job site. So you still have the foundation engineering. You know, it still needs a stamp. You still need the permits set specific to that locale. So there is, you know, there's less design work, but there's still kind of architecture and engineering work in terms of 
producing the permit sets and the foundation engineering, for example. Got it. So yeah, like, I mean, it's more efficient to produce those sets because there's, you know, a lot less creativity. I think, you know, it's already designed. It's not a custom design. So it's definitely more efficient to produce it. And maybe there's a maybe a higher volume of it. But yeah, that's kind of, uh, so there's still work involved there for architects and engineers. So basically you guys are going to be creating plans for the like foundation of the ADU and maybe how to like hook it up to the main house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a full permit set with all the notes and details and code compliance. You know, it, it still has to be compliant. It, has, it still has to meet, meet the building codes. So I think what people think is, you know, architecture is mostly design. In reality, architecture, you know, in terms of kind of most of the projects out there in the market, architecture is more like 10% design, 90% of it is regulations and code compliance and, you know, all the permitting aspects of it. So with prefab, that 10% of that design, that's obviously not there because it's pre-designed, it's prefabricated, but that 90%, which is the permit set work, which is the code compliance and regulatory work, that still needs to get done. Yeah. And you mentioned before that the biggest change probably from last year is this whole like uh, ADU regulation got changed, especially here in California. Do you want to talk about the changes and for those who have no idea what they are? Yeah, sure. You know, there's different types in terms of relaxing some of the requirements for single family ADUs in terms of the square footage and the permitting requirements. They've made it easier in terms of there's this kind of a statewide law that's been passed. So it's a standardized things. It still depends city to city to some degree, depending on what you want to do. But there is at least a baseline standardization at the state level, which helps. That's on the single family side. There's this concept of a junior ADU, which allows for you know smaller ADUs and kind of makes some of the t- ADUs people wanted to do before that weren't getting permitted. Now they can do a junior ADUs, allows for multiple ADUs on a property as well. And then I think the one that's really interesting is the multifamily ADU, where they can add up to 25% of additional units by converting some space to ADU units. For example, we've seen buildings where they have tuck under parking and they can actually convert that space and close it out and convert that into an ADU, for example, and rent it out. So that's one of the things we're seeing on the multifamily side. I think from my perspective, that's been the most interesting change just because it allows for so many units kind of relatively efficiently because there's you know, so many people do live in multifamily buildings and there are so many soft story apartment buildings in California that need to be retrofitted anyways. This gives them a further incentive to go ahead and convert some of that space like the tuck under parking into living space, into ADUs and increase the rental income and also take care of the um, seismic retrofit at the same time by doing that. So uh, I think that's one thing that's, uh, you know, personally for me, very interesting. And I think for probably a lot of your audience that may be involved in multifamily projects, I think that's a very interesting opportunity and very lucrative. We're seeing some really large real estate investors, like multi-billion dollar portfolio investors, you know, doing that for their whole whole portfolio, trying to add multifamily uh, ADU units. Yeah, adding 25% more units, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about the process, timeline, and cost for ADUs? The costs are, it's kind of very fluctuating right now. Just with the markets, I'm not sure where that's going to go over the next few months in terms of construction. So I would just say, like, I think a good ballpark estimate is good enough. So if you can get within the range of like 50000 
So in terms of process, you know, first it's kind of deciding what type of ADU are you talking about? Attached, detached, garage conversion, first story, second story, normal kind of custom construction or prefab. So it's kind of deciding on that route first. We see a mix of both. Like we see a lot of garage conversions. We see home additions where they're adding space to convert to an ADU. We see detached. So it's fairly evenly distributed, I would say. Or maybe it's probably like 50% attached, 50% detached. And within the attached, you know, maybe then half of that 50% might be garage conversions. And the other half may be interior remodels and additions. So that's kind of the composition that we see. So, but once you know which, where you want to add it, you know, outside or inside, et cetera, then it's a matter of getting the plans and permits done. That's something that, that my, uh, my company, Design Everest, does a lot. In fact, we, we do dozens of those all over California every single month, possibly even more. You know, it's definitely multiple dozens every month. And in terms of that process, it's if you're converting existing space, it's getting all your existing plans, floor plans, elevations done. If it's a detached ADU, it's a little bit easier just because all we need is a site plan to locate where the ADU is going to go. We do the design. That's a collaborative process. Then then the structural engineering, Title 24. That's your standard permit set that goes to the city. Certain cities have sped up the process of plan check. Uh, Cities like San Jose are trying to shoot for well under a month in terms of just getting everything approved. Other cities take a little bit longer, but generally... What we see is like one or two months in terms of the plan check process from different cities. It usually doesn't take longer than that. After that, then we're talking about construction. That again comes down to are you doing prefab? Are you doing custom construction? Attached, detached. But I would say, and right now, obviously, the costs are in flux on the construction side, just given the market. Right now, it's shelter in place. You know, construction, it's the physical construction itself has come to a halt. But we typically kind of, when we see, our clients go out and get bids from different contractors. They're typically in the, you know, two hundred to uh, three hundred fifty dollar a square foot kind of range. Two hundred is definitely on the lower side. I'd say two fifty to three fifty a square foot. So for a typical, you know, like a eight hundred square foot detached ADU in in Bay Area, I think you know, kind of competitive. Maybe pre-COVID price was like around two hundred k for the whole thing. And now we'll see kind of where the prices go in this market because there's multiple factors at play. You know, on, on one side, there's definitely limitation on, on GCs that can, that can build right now. There's some exceptions like affordable housing. So some, some of the affordable housing multifamily projects are continuing, but that's a small fraction of, uh, you know, what's out the projects in the market. Once the shelter in place starts getting lifted and kind of what the um, advisory from the local and state politicians have been, is that they are working towards kind of a three-phase uh, opening up the economy kind of strategy. And construction is expected to be one of the first things to open up. So what they're advising right now, they're advising, whether it's the cities or the state level uh, or the building department, what they're advising to building owners and contractors and developers is this is a good time to get your planning done, get the plans done, you know, the file for the permits, et cetera. And then when things start opening up, then, you know, you're ready to start construction at that point. So that's kind of what the cities are and governments are advising people right now. That makes sense. And is that $200,000 number including the soft costs or is that purely for construction? Well, you know, the soft costs are not that high on these ADUs. I mean, we're talking about, 
you know, a soft cost would be probably about maybe 5%. So I think it's relatively negligible compared to the overall cost of the project. Um, the bulk. So you're saying 10K for like the plans as well as uh, whatever permit fees you need to pay the city? A ballpark, yeah. Okay. It just depends city to city. Different cities have different fees. But at least for the plans and whatnot, plans, design, engineering, you know, that's the safe number. It just depends on the square footage and attached, detached, location, you know, do you have existing plans, et cetera. But the bulk of the cost is really in the construction. And that's what's in flux right now. So we'll kind of see in a, once things open up, once construction starts, kind of what the market rates are, for, especially on the ADU side. Right. It's pretty crazy because we talked about prefab. I saw like maybe like a 400 square foot tiny home slash ADU sell for maybe like $15,000 on like Alibaba. Yeah, there are products like that even on, on Amazon, actually. And they even have like some installation services. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I've seen ADUs, but, you know, sheds and different kinds of prefabricated uh, buildings on Amazon as well. So there are products like that. The main thing is that they do need it permitted at the state level. So if the engineering for that structure has to be permitted in California. So if they haven't had an installation in California yet, they would have to go through that process first before they can go and you know sell and install a bunch of them in California. So the engineering has to meet the California code. So that might be one of the risks with, say, an Alibaba ADU, is if they haven't already been installed and permitted in California, you know that does need to get done, especially the first time around as far as the engineering of the actual structure goes, not just the foundation. But once the actual structure is engineered, then every installation is just about the foundation. So it's a lot less work. But that first time around, the main structure needs to be engineered. And that has to meet California's building code because obviously they want to make sure it's safe for an earthquake. It's not going to fall down. It's not going to hurt, injure people. So that's kind of one of the challenges with some of the companies that are not in California or not already operating in California. But, you know, we've seen companies out of state, even in Canada, where they've built products they're selling them all over North America and they've actually gone through the work of getting, you know, getting them engineered in a way that it meets the requirements for all the states. And the way they typically do that is California is usually the hardest state. So, you know, because it's, it's seismic, there's earthquakes, it's, it's more regulated than many other states in terms of building codes. So many times, you know, they'll try to get it to a level where it can meet the codes in California that way it works everywhere else and they can they can sell it and then it's just the foundation that needs to get done and the kind of the localized permit set that needs to get done for each install but the main structure is already engineered to be safe for wind and earthquake and weight and all of that nice and when you mentioned that multifamily properties can now have 25 percent more units for their adus are there any extra requirements that go with it for example, I tried to have an ADU here in Milpitas like last year, and they were saying, oh, but you have to be within like half a mile of a bus stop or some other public transportation. Otherwise, you need to have extra parking spots for this ADU. And I was wondering if there's the same or similar thing for multifam. Yeah, there are constraints on parking. So that is one of the constraints. So what, we, what we've been doing with some of our kind of multifamily investor clients is looking through their portfolio of properties and advising them on where they can take advantage of this and where they are able to add units. 
And majority of the properties, they are able to add units. You know, even if they're not able to go all the way to 25%, they're still able to add a couple of units and increase their value, asset value and rental income. So it is on a case-by-case basis because we do have to especially look at the parking, as you said. But, you know, I don't think we've seen any building where there hasn't been an answer. It just comes out of how many units they can add. Best case, it is up to 25%. Can we talk about an example of potential like good deal? Something that you say that, oh, this plot has potential to do the full 25%. And like what cities are they building it in and stuff like that? So some of the projects where you know we've seen develop investors already start these kinds of projects. Some of our clients like we're in San Francisco where they've had a lot of multifamily buildings. They've been doing that over the last few years already. But in LA, we're seeing a big pickup now. So some of these same investors have expanded to LA. They've been buying up apartment buildings in LA over the last few years. And now they're doing the same thing over there in terms of just adding these multifamily ADU units. That's where we've seen most of these projects. But the other area in NorCal is Oakland. And the reason for that is last year, Oakland launched a new soft story requirement. So what that means is a lot of the apartment buildings throughout California that have tuck under parking they're at risk in earthquakes because the way the buildings can collapse kind of on its side, like a book, you know, the way you, when you push a book, so it, it collapses like that. So Oakland launched a soft story program last year, which requires the building owners to uh, retrofit their, their building. And so while they're anyways, they're being forced to touch and upgrade and work on those properties, you know, they're looking at that opportunistically as, hey, I'm going to be you know, doing construction by building, why not use this time to also add ADU units, increase the the value and rental income. So that's something we've been seeing in Oakland, we've been seeing a lot in SoCal. And I think there is a pattern we're seeing, which is in the areas with soft story regulations, that's where we're seeing kind of the, the people get started on these sooner. So whether you look at LA, Santa Monica, Beverly Hills, or in Bay Area, number of cities have soft story programs over the last few years. San Francisco had it, but the window for the plans has already expired. Like they gave, you know, they, I think they started the program around 2015 and they gave people three years to submit the, the plans. Oakland just started it last year. So that's pretty fresh. I think a lot of those buildings in Oakland, they're going to look at adding the ADUs while they're doing the retrofits. Um, when you say soft story, you mean just like a unfurnished kind of level in your building, like a garage? Yeah, soft story is like, you know, if you think about a lot of, I'm sure you've, you've uh, seen these buildings where you have two, three, four levels of apartments, and then there's a tuck under parking with maybe some columns underneath the units. And so what happens is it, a lot of these buildings were done 1950s and before when the kind of knowledge of earthquake engineering was not as advanced as it is today. And what we saw in the Northridge earthquake in 1994 was a lot of these buildings collapsed on the side, especially because of that tuck under parking with the columns, they're not being strong enough to handle the shear capacity that's needed. So there's different solutions there for improving the earthquake safety of those buildings. And a number of cities like the ones I mentioned, but you know, dozens of cities across California. And I know Mountain View is looking to implement the soft story program pretty soon as well. They've basically mandated that the soft story buildings be retrofitted. So they typically send a notice to the building owners that they have to do this. Otherwise, they have to demolish it. 
So obviously then everybody does it because nobody wants to lose the rental income. And they give you a few years to do it. You have to get the plan submitted in the first three years. Then they give you a few years to get the construction done. So so these are like city mandated programs. It is at a city, city to city level. It's not at a state level, but number of cities are following and, and we've seen a you know we've seen an increase in more cities like recently Oakland and now Mountain View is looking to do it as well. Mountain View has, you know, a few hundred apartment buildings that they believe are soft story. So there's different solutions there. There's canny levered columns, there's moment frames, there's different types of solutions for how to strengthen the tuck under parking, make it safer for an earthquake so the whole building kind of doesn't collapse under that. But while they're doing it, hey, why not convert that into living space and increase the rental income? You know, so that's what we're seeing people do. It seems really expensive and it kind of sucks that they're being forced to do it. But I guess it's for the safety of everyone who lives there. It's a life safety issue. So it's something that, you know, it's it's not every city, It's but especially some of the bigger cities have done it. So, you know, we've seen this in San Francisco, I believe, Berkeley. Oakland has started it. Those are some of the various cities, Mountain News next. In LA, you know, several cities have done it. So a lot of cities in the LA metro have done it. Yeah. So let's imagine like a 20 unit building, like the one I used to live in back when I was living in Los Angeles. It did have tuck under parking as well. So you figure you're going to get rid of this tuck under parking, you know, make it look nice and then add an extra five units or so. What happens to the parking? Like where do the tenants go now? Yeah, some of the buildings we've seen, there's either space to just have normal parking, not tuck under parking. If that's one way that they can add one or two spots, that's what we've seen. Otherwise, they have to look at how much street parking is available. So that becomes a constraint. That's why it's not as simple as, you know, it's, it's a up to 25%. But, you know, as, as you pointed out, the parking is really the, the number of parking spots. That's one of the main primary constraints in terms of how many they're actually able to add. So they're not always able to add up to 25%, but in every case we have seen, at least, they've been able to add something. And even if it's one or two units, you know, that is, that does increase the value and the income, the rental income from the asset. Absolutely. And everyone knows if you buy apartment complexes, the value of the complex is based on the net operating income. So if you can increase the NOI, then the value of your building goes up. So it seems like it's super worth it. Yep, exactly. So all the investors that we've talked to who have a lot of multifamily assets, they're really bullish on this. Even with COVID, they're going ahead with these projects. Sure. I mean, you can effectively boost your gross income by 25%. Why not? Yeah, exactly. Sounds good. And especially for the soft story buildings where they anyways are going to have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on the retrofit. It's like, why not get some efficiency and do it at the same time? Yeah. And I guess... That's where your company comes into play, right? And you have to figure out how to make it safe for everyone, but also where to do like this kind of like Tetris thing where you can add the building in the right spots. Yeah, no, exactly. That's how we help with those projects is on the architecture side. It's about how do you maximize the number of units and get the best design and achieve the goals of the, uh, you know, building owner slash investor. And on the engineering side is how do you do that while increasing the earthquake safety of the building and meeting the retrofit you know, requirements that the different cities have. So it's balancing both and because uh, we do both. And, and there's some other kinds of engineering as well that we do like MEP, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, all of that has to be done as well, part of the permit set. But it's primarily architectural, which is you know, about achieving the design goals and maximizing the number of units 
factoring in parking and the local regulations and all of that, and the structural engineering, which is around the earthquake safety, which is kind of what the cities are after from kind of in terms of upgrading the earthquake safety and life safety. So it's it's balancing uh, both of those and making the building safer and increasing the rental income and the asset value. And what's a ballpark for the costs in the uh, in terms of architectural and structural engineering side for a project around that size? It's for multifamily. You know, it, it is definitely substantially more than you know, like a single family set. I mean, it's definitely in the tens of thousands. Like for a typical, you know, ten to twenty unit building. I mean, something like forty, fifty k for the whole permit set because we're talking about architecture, structural engineering, mechanical, electrical, plumbing engineering, Title Twenty Four. You know, the as-built, the, the existing plans are obviously a lot more extensive than just a single-family house because we're talking about thousands and tens of thousands of square foot. So it's kind of like, you know, four or five X of a single-family ADU. Makes sense. Does that include you guys going to the city to present the documents and whatnot? Yeah, we do permit submittal services as well. So going to the city, submitting it, talking to the plan checkers. And anyways, when we do our permit sets, we include addressing all the city commons until they're approved. So that's part of what we offer. That's part of the package. Very nice. Is there anything going on with your company since the last time we spoke? Do you have any new products that you guys have launched since then? Yeah, yeah. We've definitely adapted in terms of just, you know, in terms of the kinds of projects people are doing, like on the ADUs and more residential, more residential work that's going on, as well as some government work as government spendings, you know, expected to go up. And that's typically what, the government does in a downturn is that they, they spend more on, you know, they try to create jobs, they try to stimulate the economy, fund construction, infrastructure, uh, all of that. That's kind of what keeps the industry going in a downturn. But in terms of innovation, one of the things that we've launched is this kind of online platform that we call teleconstruction. So it's kind of like, you know, in the healthcare side, you have the concept of telemedicine where you can have a doctor appointment on the phone. In our case, so we've coined this word teleconstruction. And what that is, is there's different use cases. And we've already done a number of these. We, we actually, are one of our software engineers built this very quickly after you know, Shelter-in-Place started. And we've already launched this. And there's different use cases of our teleconstruction product. So what is, you know, like, like being able to do a virtual you know, feasibility study of your project? So let's say, you know, you were looking at adding units or buying a building or doing a development. So over video, we can do a feasibility study of the project and specific to the property in terms of what is feasible, what's not feasible, uh, whether it's influencing your decision to buy the building or not, or just maybe a building you already have and you want to look at what you can do, can't do. So with shelter in place, you know, with that not being done in, in person as much today, we can do it over video. So that's one application. Another application is on virtual on-sites, which is like, let's say people have issues. They have cracks, they have settlements, they have structural defects, you know, decks, foundations, all kinds of things. Whereas in the past, an engineer would go out and look at it. Now, some of these where, you know, it can work over video, we're doing through our teleconstruction product. So in terms of kind of structural assessments and things like that. And the third one is like observations and inspections during the construction phase, where again, in the past, an engineer inspector would come out during construction and look at it. We're supporting some of the contractors who have projects. Like, for example, in Southern California, construction is still going on. But just in Bay Area, where it's almost completely at a halt. But in 
uh, Southern California where we have projects where, you know, the contractors are still doing work and they needed inspections, epoxy, rebar, hold downs, things like that. Some of them were able to do over video through our teleconstruction platform. So, you know, it's just like telemedicine. Everything can't be done through it. You can't do a surgery through telemedicine, but there are certain use cases that can be done over video. And we're doing the same thing on the uh, kind of pre-construction as well as construction administration side and doing it over video. And that's what we coined as teleconstruction. That's awesome. And I wish I had that on one of my projects about a year ago. We were doing some foundation work on one of our projects. And then the uh, inspector wanted us to get it signed off by an actual structural engineer that it was uh, you know, done according to plans. And the structural engineer was from Santa Cruz and he couldn't make it up to my site for three weeks. That's too long. So for three weeks, it was like, where are you next week? Where are you next week? Where are you? And he finally came. And all you needed was really a picture to actually sign off on it, right? Yeah. And there, there's certain you know, ones that can be done over, over video and those we're able to do over video. And there's others where you know, there may be issues at the site. Maybe the work wasn't done correctly, things like that, where an in-person would make more sense. So, you know, I, I just look at the telemedicine analogy, right? There's certain things that can be done over video. There's certain things where you have to go into a doctor's office, but at least the things that can be done over video, why not? You know, it's so much more efficient. It saves the travel time. It reduces costs. It can be done faster. You don't have to wait three weeks for the engineer to show up. There's definitely a lot of benefits, and that's what we're trying to deliver to our customers through this teleconstruction platform. Yeah, super exciting. And I was wondering, uh, you know, based on our conversation today, it seems that residential and multifamily, you know, it's going to be hurt from this whole situation, but I think overall it's going to be okay, especially with this whole, you know, extra ADU units that we can create. There's a lot of opportunity in multifamily still. But on the retail and office commercial space, it seems like they are going to be in a world of pain for a while. Yeah, what's your opinion on that? And have you seen anyone trying to create new projects now? You know, there's been a big dip. I'll tell you where the dip is on the commercial side. It's on a tenant improvement side. You know, so tenant improvements is basically what that means is it's like an interior model. It's whenever there's a modification done to a commercial building, that's called a tenant improvement. So big dip there, which you know, is is natural. It's logical given the market, given people are not going into offices and restaurants and hotels and all that. You know, that has almost completely died down in terms of what we're seeing in the market, in terms of the kinds of projects we're seeing. There are certain areas like, you know, medical, healthcare related where they'll be needed. But, you know, that's again, a you know, just one vertical. But what we're seeing, and this may be of interest to, to your audience in particular, we're seeing kind of some of the smaller developers strike now in terms of getting getting new ground up construction started you know so we've seen a kind of a community center in sacramento we've seen like a bar and grill plus motel in in fresno various projects all around the state where these are brand new construction ground up even if they're commercial and you know in, in talking to them kind of you know in talking to them about kind of how they're thinking about the market and the project. So the way they're thinking about it is there were a number of investors and developers who were kind of waiting for a market correction before they start the project, but they had something in mind over the last two, three years that they, they want to build something. They were sitting on the cash basically. Now they're thinking is, okay, let's use this time to get all the plans and permits done because on a ground up construction, that process takes a while. It's not a pro it's not a, 
few weeks or a couple months for a ground up project that process can easily take several months or a year or even longer depending on what the kind of project is so we're seeing those developers strike now even if it is a commercial project where maybe they've had the land and they've wanted to do something for a while but they were waiting for the cost to come down they were waiting for a market correction and they don't need financing to at least get the plans and permits done so they can take the next you know call it 6 to 12 months to get all of that done by then you know construction will have to commence right I mean, the market will have, the economy has to open up by then, you know, by then they're ready to start the actual construction work. That's good. So that's kind of the pattern that we've seen in terms of ground up commercial, but the tenant improvement commercial, that's been pretty much dead outside of say, med- medical and hospitals and things like that. Right. And I'm surprised that people are still buying properties now because I heard that financing is very difficult to get right now. Uh, especially in the commercial world. Yeah, yeah, because the rents and all of that will have to get negotiated and, you know, they'll see kind of what, I think there was something in the Wall Street Journal about at the start of April that, I forget what exactly it was, uh, there was a company that has a lot of, owns a lot of retail space and only 25% of the tenants paid rent, at least on time, like by the second week of April or something. Yeah, I mean, they're not generating a business, so it's hard for them to pay rent as well. Yeah, exactly. So that's why, you know, they're not investing in tenant improvements and modifications to, to buildings. But I was just talking to one of our clients yesterday who's like, a, it's a family business and they've been in real estate development for a few decades. They have a number of properties around California and they typically do developments in the, you know, five, $10 million range, mixed use buildings, condos, generally multifamily projects in the five, $10 million kind of range. So we're doing one for them right now, which is a five-story mixed-use building. But, you know, they're still looking at getting a couple other projects going right now, affordable housing and multifamily projects. So they're, they're still planning to proceed with those because they understand that it's going to be, you know, at least a year kind of going through the whole in, you know, planning and permitting and all that entire process. And then, you know, by then they'll be able to, depending on where the market is, probably take advantage of lower construction costs. And, you know, these are projects they've wanted to do for a while. So now now they're, you know, it's it's a good time to strike for them. And they, they already have the land. So those are the situations we're seeing where developers are still starting new projects, including ground up construction. Yeah, sounds cool that they already have the land. They're not like taking on huge debt just to buy a site. Yeah, they already have the land. They've already wanted to do the project. Here's another example that we've already started. We started this project post, you know, the lockdowns in terms of the planning phase, right? But there's a developer in San Bernardino. He's doing uh, student housing. He's developing like a fairly large student housing project near one of the, I I believe one of the UCs, uh, maybe UC Riverside. It's near, near that campus. And he's had the land already. He's been wanting to do this project. And his main concerns in the past were like, you know, revived two, three months ago, his main construct concern was about the construction cost and how much the overall project is going to cost. And now he's thinking with the construction costs, you know, to be coming down. And by the time he gets ready to build like next year, you know, he thinks he can afford it. And he already has the land, he has the cash, he has the funds uh, to do it. So we're seeing kind of customers with that profile, they have the land, they have the funds, they have a project that they've wanted to do, even if it's a, you know, relatively large project with, you know, dozens or hundreds of units, they're still looking to proceed with those. Awesome. 
Well, Akash, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation today. Do you have any last tips for our listeners or any opportunities that you see in the market right now? Well, you know, I look at some of our real estate developer and investor clients, you know, the ones who really made a killing, they, you know, you have to buy low, sell high. So when the market crashed in 2008, one of our biggest customers, they bought up a lot of buildings all over California, especially in San Francisco. They bought up dozens of apartment buildings. Now they own hundreds uh, across the state. And they did really, really well. And, you know, back in 2008, 2009, there was a lot of fear in the market. And that's the time when you want to get in the game. That's how you make money. So for the investors, developers who have the cash, there's obviously a lot of fear and uncertainty in the market. So just like 2008, 2009, it was a great time to get in and get projects started. And then, you know, five, five years later, 10 years later, they, they really made a killing on those. Nice. So yeah, take advantage of the slow time right now. Yeah, things are going to get better. I mean, every nothing's nothing's uh, permanent. The good times aren't permanent. The bad times aren't permanent. So so things are going to get better. That's a guarantee. So those who have the cash and you know they have the interest, it's a good time to strike. That's what we're seeing with a lot of our developers. And these are developers who've been in the business for decades. These are not brand new. They've seen multiple economic cycles, and the fact that they're striking now you know it means that they're seeing the pattern from the previous economic cycles and you know that's when they really made a killing very nice so Akash how can people get in contact with you yeah so we have our website www.designeverse.com my personal email is akash at designeverse.com a-a-k-a-s-h at d-e-s-i-g-n-e-v-e-r-e-s-c.com we have our main line phone number on our website we also have a lot of social media presence if you go to our Facebook page or LinkedIn, we're always posting articles or you know tips and best practices as it relates to different kinds of projects that we do from a planning perspective, and also some you know some of the designs we've done. In, in case any of those interest you and you want to do a similar kind of project, you can look at some of the designs we've done that we regularly post on social media. Yeah, if you guys want to learn more about Akash and his company Design Everest, you can listen back on episode number sixty-five. And if you guys want anything, go ahead to his website, designeverest.com for any architectural and structural engineering needs. So Kosh, thank you very much for being on the show. It's a pleasure having you on. All right. Thanks, Sean. Thanks. Take care. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Prefab seems to be very popular right now. In the past, it seemed like prefab and stick-built ADUs were comparable in price. But according to Kosh, the price is actually really low. And they're actually increasing the price to justify the demand. So over time, I think prefab is going to decrease in price and we're going to see more and more accessible ADUs. So hopefully sometime in the near future, it'll be very cheap to just pop an ADU back in your backyard if you own a single family property. It also seems that multifamily conversions are great. We're able to change garage spaces into livable space. Akash was saying that you can do up to 25% of your existing buildings. So if you have a building with 20 units, you can actually add an additional five units onto the property by converting the garage space into livable space. So it seems like there's a lot of potential for new development in the near future. Of course, because of COVID-19, restaurants and other commercial real estate will take a hit in the future. And right now, tenant improvement projects are taking a dip. So if you guys have any architectural or structural engineering needs, I definitely recommend that you check out Design Everest. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, Join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. 
This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.